This series entitled The Mission is one of those that every pastor gets excited about. The same was true of last series in that Romans 8. And there was just some things I was looking forward to in the series on Romans 8. Now, I don't know how other pastors prepare. I typically prepare some things months in advance. And the things that I prepare months in advance are the big picture ideas of a sermon of a series. And so I knew that on this particular week, in many ways, this would be the heart of the series, the passage that we're getting to now. And so while it may not serve as that apex or the climax of the series, it certainly is, in many ways, the heart of what this series is all about. Because we get to see Jesus in action talking about the mission. And this is what's going to be um, uh, so great. Uh, many of us will feel a certain, again, level of conviction on this, but I, I hope we all walk away with a great deal more comfort, even, I would say, inspiration, confidence in what it is that God can and will do. The story is a very simple one. You have heard me quote it many different times. Throughout my time, as uh, early years of growing in my faith in the early 20s, um, I came back to this particular uh, story, this, um, this wording um, over and over again, um, and it has driven me in many ways. I also wish I lived up to the ideals of it, but I don't. I wish that my heart was always and only in the condition that the Scriptures are going to show us that Jesus was, but, but it isn't. But I get a chance to repent and to come back and to say, God, help me. Help me, make me more like your son in, in the way it is that I go about ministry to those who would not consider themselves to be followers of Jesus. If you're physically able, I would ask you to stand as we read just a handful of verses. It'll be from Matthew chapter 10. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9. It'll be verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You may be seated. Now, there's a couple of things about this that we need to understand, a couple of things about the series as a whole that we need to remember because in many ways, again, it builds um, towards this. Todd did a fantastic job kicking us off in this series, and he told us that God uses the found to reach the lost and he said that we declare God's fame and we reflect his glory. And so we talked about this right leg at which we walk this Christian life. And we walk on the right leg, taking that first step, is the glory and the fame of God. And we talked about this second step that we take is the freedom of man, that both of these have a, cause us to walk a balanced life. We seek out the fame of God and we seek out the freedom of man. Man is going to be at his freest when he is most deeply satisfied in the person of God. And that's what brings God the greatest amount of glory. So seeking both of these things simultaneously in many ways, chicken, egg, what, what happened? In many ways, we are pursuing the fame of God while we are pursuing the freedom of man. And we had just a couple of illustrations for you, a couple of word pictures, a couple of statements, if you will. We said that we seek oftentimes restriction, but that Christ offers freedom. 
And then we talked about the religious, generally speaking, throughout the world, look down on people, whereas Jesus, in turn, looks up at the world, looks up at the Father, out at the world to see whom it is he may serve and how it is he may serve. One mind, two passions, three questions. One mind is the mind of Christ. Two passions are the fame of God and the freedom of man. And then the three questions, where do I personally need to be set free so that I can passionately pursue God's fame and man's freedom? Number two, how can God use me where I am right now to spread his fame? And number three, how can God use me right now where I am in order to pursue or in order to set people free? Today, Jesus gives us a principle. I'm going to set it up beforehand with this. You may have heard the phrase that was used before. I actually tried now for a few weeks to look it up. Some say it should be credited to the baseball. Some say it's a cricket thing. Some say it's something. But most folks think it is a sports, or it originated with sports. I call it like I see it. When you hear that phrase, what goes through your mind? Someone that speaks the truth, probably. Someone who calls a spade a spade. Someone who is not afraid to speak, hopefully respectfully, hopefully honorably, but certainly directly as to what is true and what is not true. I call it like I see it. Do you know, I've changed that just a little bit. I think that we treat people the way that we see people. We call them like we see them. And how we view people is typically how we treat people initially. Doesn't mean that we always treat them that way, but that's how we typically treat them initially. Now, I'm experiencing something really marvelous right now. I got two things going for me that make me appear a whole lot better than I really am. Number one, I have a Florida State shirt. It's a a shirt kind of like this, but it's this booster shirt, and it's got some language that's written on it that it seems to indicate that I am a large donor to, to Florida State. So when I get, go into a restaurant and I'm wearing this shirt, which was given to me by a guy uh, when, the first year that I was here, when I wear this shirt and I walk into a game, I promise you the waiters and waitresses say, Sir, how are you? I, my water is never, it, it, it's always filled to the brim. I get a smile. The servers themselves come in. They laugh at every joke that I tell, no matter how bad it is. I get incredible, I walk into a, a, a retail shop and, and f- managers and owners will make their way out to me. It is great. The other thing I have going for me is this. My son bought himself a car and all I did was sign on the, on the co-sign and he's got it taken care of. He's, he's going to be doing great with this. Do you know what kind of car he bought? A Mercedes. Now, he's back living with us for, uh, for just a little bit before he goes and does something else. So guess who shares that Mercedes with him? Now, how do you think it is when I wear that Florida State shirt and hop out of a Mercedes walking into a place? It's a 2006 Mercedes. It's in great condition. I told him, son, you bought a car that is nicer than any car I will ever drive in my life. This is your first car. Now, I have another car, and it's the car that another son and I share. See the pattern here? Now, that car is is not a Mercedes. It's a Hyundai Santa Fe. 
It's now on its third wreck. There are dents that we have decided we're just not going to take out. It's not worth it. There's a few things that we fix. If the car is not drivable, we'll get that fixed. But otherwise, because ultimately, I really don't care. It does not bother me what it is that I drive. When I am not wearing my Florida State shirt and I'm not driving in my Mercedes, what do you think people think first? When I hop out of my vehicle that looks like it was from the 1930s, we treat people typically the way we see people. It's human nature. It's instinct for us. Please hear me. I'm not saying that it stops there. I'm not saying that we don't fight against it. I'm not saying that we don't do many things uh, uh, that are good. I'm saying that's our starting point. We tend to treat people the way that we see people. So now here's my question to us this morning. How do you, how do I, how do we see people that are actively opposed to God? Because our natural instinct is going to be to treat them like we see them. And on the one hand, I hope that there is something that swells up inside of us that says, no, I want to defend my father because he is so good. And I know what it looks like. I know what it seems like to you. And I know you can't quite understand this, but he's actually brilliant. He's a genius. He works out all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose and, and love him. And, and I promise you, he can take something that looks really bad right now and turn it into something really beautiful later on. He can take these tears and turn them into laughter. I promise you, this is a really, really good God. I hope there's something in us that swells up that wants to defend him. Yes. But I hope that we don't want to defend him in the same way that we typically nowadays go about defending positions in America. And that is by attacking you, not just by going after your idea. We treat people like we see people. And so it's good that the fame of God drives us, but the way that we see people will determine as to whether or not the freedom of man will drive us. Because if I view them as Jesus, we talked about it last week in the sermon in Luke, if I view them as captives needing to be freed, then I will likely have a different response to them other than rebels that just need to be. So in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is moving along. And there's a summary verse that comes in verse 35 right here. It says, Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages. And so it's indicating that he is making his way around. Keep in mind, he was walking everywhere that he went. Every now and then they probably got crazy and rode like a camel or something like that. But no motorized vehicles. They're walking and, 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 go, and as they would walk, crowds would gather. And so he's walking all throughout these cities and then look what it says that he's doing in the process. He is teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Another way that we would say it in our day and age with our terminology is he was teaching and preaching. Do you know what the difference is? Teaching is what we at Wildwood try to do on Sunday mornings. We try to offer opportunities in which we will take the word, we will expound upon the word, we will try to drive the principles from the word, whatever it says, we want to draw out and then pass on to anyone who's willing to listen. 
That is teaching. It's making the text, hopefully, uh, better. Uh, uh, you have a better understanding of the text when you leave the service than when you came in. Preaching is something that is different. Preaching may oftentimes include teaching, but preaching is actually just the proclaiming. It's the heralding. It is the telling of what it is that God has done. So Jesus would go, as was his custom. He would walk into a synagogue on a Sunday. He would then teach. Most often, people would walk away scratching their heads going, who is this dude? He doesn't have formal education. And yet, he just taught like no one I've ever heard teach. He was doing that, but he was also walking through proclaiming what it is that God would do. Do you know that every teacher, um, uh, every preacher, rather, is called to teach? But do you know every person, every Christian is called to preach? Every one of us are called to preach, not in the way that the term is used in our day and age. Don't preach to me. Not, not that kind of way. It's just the proclaiming. It's the heralding. It's the telling of what it is that God has done. So Jesus is teaching and he is proclaiming or preaching in there of the, uh, of the kingdom. And then it says he's healing every disease and every affliction. And so as folks would be brought to him, Jesus was bringing healing to their physical bodies in the process. Now, eventually they would get sick, and again, eventually they would die. So Jesus was meeting temporary needs on behalf of these people, but oftentimes these temporary needs were the greatest needs that these people were even aware of. They may not have been aware of their spiritual need, which is much greater than their physical need, but Jesus was going ahead and meeting the physical need in many ways oftentimes to let them know, I care about you. What we really wanted to do was to get to their spiritual needs as well. Please minister to people's physical needs. Please do it. It's good. It's right. And even if it doesn't lead to an opportunity to share the good news, meet people's physical needs. It reflects the person of God. It reflects Jesus. But always be looking for an opportunity to see if you can meet their spiritual need. That was the summary in verse 35. Then notice what we get to see about the person of Jesus right now in verse 36. We get to see his compassion. When he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus walking along, doing miracles, healing people, teaching, preaching, Developing a following, if you will, rather than looking at all of the likes, all the clicks that he was getting along the way, he kept his eyes up. He kept looking out on the horizon to see who it is that he might serve, how it is that he might serve them. Always looking for an opportunity to get to the heart of their problem, to take them into the depths of what was going on right here. It says that he saw he didn't just look for a moment. He didn't just glance for a second. He saw the crowds. Now, there's other stories, other times in which Jesus would be walking along. You recall one story in particular. He's walking along with his disciples. Disciples look over, see this individual who was blind from birth, and they ask Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, whose sin was it? Was it the parent's sin or was it this dude's sin that he was born blind? They saw a theological puzzle. They saw a beggar. They saw someone who was an outcast. 
Jesus saw something different because in that passage it tells us as he went along, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. Jesus saw people. He saw into their hearts, into their minds. He, he, he had this ability to look through the chamber of their eyes and the eyes don't lie. But Jesus, although busy, took the time, talk, listen, See, his eyes were always looking up. So he saw them, it tells us. And then it tells us that he had compassion after looking at them. So after staring, after setting his gaze on, setting his focus, opening his ears, after doing this, he then has compassion. And and Matthew does not tell us yet why he has compassion. He just says that he sees them and then he has compassion on them. So he looks out at the people, and then he is stirred. Now, this word compassion in the original language is not a word that just simply means there is an emotional stirring that takes place. It's a word that carries with it a necessity, a compelling, if you will, to take action based on a condition. So many of you have heard Sarah McLaughlin singing and puppies on the the television. You feel really bad for these, these puppies, and I do too. That's not having compassion for them. Having compassion when you pick up the phone and you dial the number and you pledge something or whatever it may be. I can feel really bad all the time. It's it's not biblical compassion. Until I am forced, I am compelled, I am stirred, I am moved to do something about it. Now this is the beauty. Jesus, who is healing people physically of their ailments, now looks in and he sees what's going on in their condition right now. And he is compelled to move and to do something about it. How did Jesus see them? It tells us in this next part. Why do you have compassion? Because. They were harassed and helpless. When he looked out on them, Jesus takes his eyes, sees them in that moment, and he sees people who are harassed and who are helpless. You may know of a story similar to this, but I know of a gentleman that I used to work with in Atlanta told this story on multiple occasions. It was a true story about his son. And his son, while he was in the fourth or fifth grade during that time, was getting picked on by a kid at school pretty ruthlessly. And while that kid never beat him up, never shoved him into a trash can, nothing like that, that kid was just pretty relentless at coming back to this man's son. And his dad challenged him, challenged him to do two things. One, son, try to see things through his eyes. Why do you think he would be picking on you? He said, the second thing is be prepared to defend yourself. (laughs) So at some point, you got to punch the bully in the nose. I'm not advocating violence, but that was good counsel. Son, after doing this for quite some time, comes home and he has a chance to sit down with his dad. He says, Dad, things have really changed. And I'll name the kid Billy. That's not his real name. Dad, things have really changed with Billy. Son, what happened? So Billy and I finally had a conversation. And Billy told me about everything that's going on in his life. And Billy told me that his stepfather has been abusing him over and over and over again. 
And when my friend tells the story, he says, in a moment, my view of the kid that had been picking on my son radically shifted. And it changed from a story of, I want this kid out of my kid's life. I want my kid to punch him in the nose. I want my It instantly changed to, how, Lord, can we help this kid? As it would turn out, they did develop a friendship. They did become close friends. That little kid did come to faith in Christ. And it led to the opportunity to share the gospel with the stepdad, who about five years later eventually did come to faith. Jesus saw Jesus had compassion because they were harassed and they were helpless. There's somebody that is standing over the folks that we see and he has a giant grin on his face. And he is harassing and those people are helpless. Do you believe this? Do you believe that anyone who is separated from the person of Jesus, who has not given their lives over, who has not surrendered to him, who is not a child of God, do you believe that they are harassed and helpless? They are harassed by the evil one. And what the evil one is able to speak into their mind day in and day out is awful. And they have no real defense against it. Because the defense that we have is the Spirit of God. It is the person of Jesus. That when we get harassed, we go to the Father. We fall on our knees and we begin to pray to Him. And the Scripture tells us that when we pray, when we bring our requests over to the Lord with thanksgiving, it tells us actually the peace of God. Not our peace that we can muster up, but the peace of God actually stands guard over our hearts and our minds. And so God comes to our defense. He comes and stands against the evil one. And the evil one is a created being by God. He is not the yin and yang, God and the devil. The the, the devil is, is far inferior to Jesus. And so Jesus can stand over and he can stop whenever, whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But those who are outside of Christ have no defense whatsoever. So they're harassed constantly filled with lies, things that are spoken to them that are nowhere even close to being true. They have no defense against it. Now, I know most of the time what it is that we see is we see an adulterer. We see a drunkard. We see a bully. We see a thief. We see a liar. We see a glutton. We see a gossip. We see all these things that we play. I am begging that God would do a work inside of our minds and our hearts and that we would see that there are people who are harassed and helpless. Jesus then makes a comparison. He says they're harassed and they're helpless. Kind of like sheep. Kind of like sheep that don't have a shepherd to guard them. Now, I've never been a shepherd a day in my life, meaning of actual sheep. I've never worked on a sheep farm. 
Uh, one time I flew into, uh, uh, I was going, eventually trying to get to Northern California, but flew into Medford, Oregon. And on our way down from Medford, Oregon, down into a little town called Etna, California, uh, we did uh, on a road have to stop because there was a giant cloud in the road. And that cloud turned out to be actually a flock of sheep. It was pretty cool, but there was nothing we could do. There was no way we could go around them in the process. And so one of the coolest sights I've ever seen in my life is I'm there just waiting. The gentleman who came to get me in his car, we're just waiting, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for sheep to go. We actually did make some efforts to get the sheep out of the road. We got out. We told them to go. They did not. We tried to make sheep sounds. They were not fooled in the process. We hollered. We screamed. We blew the horn. It didn't matter. And then all of a sudden, this is the coolest thing. All of a sudden, this dude comes riding up on a horse. And I don't even know what he said. But something came out of his mouth and the sheep. And he went this, and they just, they just followed. All of them. They knew the voice of the shepherd. And so the shepherd got them out of the road so that I could go on with my life. The, these people who are harassed and helpless, they're taking it out. Hurt people hurt people. And so those that are taking it out on anyone in their path, trying to do the best they can to alleviate a guilty conscience filled with shame, covered in shame, trying to do anything they can to find some moment of pleasure to get relief in life and doing it in ways that are often destructive, they are like sheep who are doing only what they know to do because they don't have a shepherd that guides the way and says, this is the way, walk ye in it. So they're like sheep without a shepherd. And notice, this is just how Jesus describes things. This is Jesus telling us what it is, what the condition of man is. Now, you ready for the imperative? Here's the big, so Jesus says, so here's what we got to do. I want you to understand something about society. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. That is a statement of truth. Because Jesus looks up, he looks out, he doesn't walk around through life looking in this direction. He looks up and he sees that the harvest is plentiful. In other words, those who are ripe for the picking is the term that Jesus is using. He's not making people a project. He's not turning them into some sort of a um, um, uh, project. <laughs> He's not doing that. He is just giving us an analogy to see that people want to know what is true. They are looking for something. The majority of the people in this day and age were looking more for a church. In our day and age, we talked about it last week, people are no longer looking for a church, but they still are looking for something. So if we'll get in the habit of looking for people who are looking for something, then we're going to see that the harvest is actually plentiful because everybody seems to be looking for something. The harvest is plentiful. If you ever find yourself making the statement, I just don't know what to do. I don't know, I just, I don't know where believers go. I don't know where they hang out. I don't know where they are. They're everywhere. They're right next door to you. They're at work. They might be under your own roof. They are 
everywhere, and every one of them is looking for something. Some are so hardened in their heart, believing that what they're doing is maybe going to turn it around, maybe going to become fruitful one day. They're so hardened that they want nothing to do with this message right here. That's okay. There are plenty who are listening. Would you tell me something that is true? And if we as the church are looking up, do you, do you want me to go here? Here? Yeah. Oh, there they are. And then my job is not to convince anyone of anything. My job is just to herald, to proclaim, to preach, to tell, to share. And I have the glorious opportunity just to say, hey, I got someone I want to introduce you to. Let me tell you what's worked for me. And they can either say, that just really doesn't sound good to me at all. Okay. Or they may say, would you tell me more? Are you really saying to me that this Jesus did everything that was necessary to make me right with God? That all I have to do is actually just to believe? That I just need to surrender the controls? Why are you telling me that? Yeah. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Those who go through and are called to, to reap the harvest, to, to take the fruit, if you will, to when something gets ripe and it can become so delicious and useful for, for feasting, those who are going out into the harvest and who want to do this work, there's just so few of them. And so there's all kinds of fruit that's ready to be plucked. But there's very few people who have their eyes up, who are looking, and who are trying to actually reap. The term that he uses here for labor is a good one, and it is actually one who labors. You can look at it later on, but in 1 Thessalonians, the first three verses of it tells us something about labor. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians. He says, I remember your work that was produced by faith and your labor that was prompted, if you would, by love. It is a labor, but it is a labor of love. Now, what is the real work that Jesus is calling us to? All of these fields that are white unto harvest, looking all across that, there's just not enough of us. And so Jesus then gives the only imperative in this section right here. The only command that he gives right here is to us. He gave this command to his disciples. It still rings true to us today. So since the harvest is plentiful, since the laborers are few, since people are looking for something, what is it that we are called to do? Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The needs are actually so great there are so many people who want to hear something that God says, there's no way you can get to this all. So hit your knees. Tom Osborne, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a football coach. Grant Osborne, a, 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 a guy who has some commentary on Matthew, says this. He talks about this. When the going gets tough in terms of ministry, you can't get to all the needs, the tough get praying. 
hit your knees and pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send forth more laborers. So we see all the needs that are out there. And so we want to hit our knees and say, God, would you bring more people to that? Now, we're not going to teach on it, but just look at verse 1 of chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles with you. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. And you know what happens next? Jesus sends them out. So here's the message that he's sending. The needs are so great. People are looking. They are receptive. They're willing. They want something to bring satisfaction in their life. So pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send forth the laborers with the understanding that I am already sending you. You don't have to pray about whether or not you should be a laborer in the kingdom. You don't have to pray about whether or not you should herald the gospel. You don't have to pray about whether you should proclaim. You don't have to pray about whether you should preach. God has already called you to do it. He's saying, pray that God is going to raise up even more in the process. And he's never called you to change the life of anyone. He's only called you to do what Jesus says, and that is, I want you to be my witnesses. Testify to me and start over here in this area and then move to this area and then move to this area and then get to the whole entire world. But just testify about me. Just talk about me. Gab about me. Gossip about me. Just point people to me. That's all you got to do. So I close with this. What is your story? All the day long, we'll be talking about the story. Don't you want to go ahead and get some practice in now? Don't you just want to get in the habit of telling your story to others right now? Because you're going to be talking about this story for all of eternity. You're going to be finding folks like the Apostle Paul. You're going to be finding Matthew. You're going to be finding Martin Luther. I can't wait to find Calvin. Calvin will probably finally have a smile on his face. We're going to be telling the story all day long of what it is that Jesus did on our behalf. Wouldn't it be great to just practice it right now? Can you imagine Wildwood? Can you imagine what would happen if each of us had our eyes looking up? We saw the crowds who are harassed and helpless. We saw them as sheep without shepherds. We were moved and stirred to such a manner that we said, I have got to just tell them about Jesus because Jesus is so much better than getting drunk. He's so much better than having multiple and you fill in the blank with whatever. Jesus is so much better. Just try him. And if they turn you down, okay. Go find someone else. 